This morning we'll be uh, in the book of Titus. Uh, we finished James a couple weeks ago, and um, we had a guest with us last week. I was on my annual college football trip with my college buddies, and um, man, I had the best time. Uh, we went to South Carolina, watched UK blow it, and um, you know, I watched my beloved Bengals lose their uh, quarterback that Thursday night. It was a tough weekend for football, but it was a great weekend with my buddies. Uh, so thank you for letting me be gone. Uh, it, it's such an important weekend for me because this is a group of uh, people, some of whom I've known. Uh, I was in kindergarten with one of them, uh, graduated high school with another, uh, was roommates in college with all four of them. And uh, to enter a space where I'm not the pastor is just amazing. And, uh, and they just treat me like I've always been, just a person who happens to be a pastor. Uh, so thank you for that gift. Um, Today we are in Titus. Uh, we are starting our Advent series. We'll be in the book of Revelation uh, starting next week. Uh, so this is a bit of a gap sermon. Uh, I preached it right in the middle of COVID when about 20 of you uh, were around. And uh, so I'm pretty sure that none of you have heard this. Uh, and if you have, you forgot it. So, uh, uh, but as I looked over uh, old, old sermons, this was one that, man, it's just, I remember it vividly. So I wanted uh, to share it once more. Uh, let me pray. Father, we do thank you for your word, and uh, Lord, thank you that uh, you uh, used it to reveal yourself. Uh, Lord, that this is more than uh, just an ancient book, ancient writings, uh, but Lord, it is a uh, book that reveals you to us, Lord, that we can know who you are through these words. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use your spirit uh, to highlight who Jesus is and what he's done for us in this passage this morning. I pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, so Titus is a, a short book that you'll find uh, towards the end of the, your New Testament. And Titus uh, was a pastor. He was a young pastor. He was a budding pastor. And uh, Titus, is, as a book, is one of three what are referred to as pastoral epistles, meaning they're not written to a church, but written to a pastor. So Titus is one. First Timothy, First Timothy is the second one. And 2 Timothy is the third. In each letter, you will find that they're highly personal. They're very affectionate in nature because uh, Paul has a relationship with Titus and Timothy that's very dear. So sure, he's their boss. He's their supervisor in many ways. Titus directly reports to him. But there's this personal touch. It's so rich. It's so rich, this personal relationship that Paul calls Timothy his true son. I mean, Titus wasn't his biological son, but he was his spiritual son. Paul had led Titus to faith, and now he's mentoring him in the ministry. And Titus was a great, great asset to Paul because he was unique. He was unique in that he was Greek. He was a non-Jewish convert, which is unlike Paul, unlike Peter, unlike the rest of the apostles who were all Jewish. So he becomes a test case for the gospel, Titus does. Was the church going to demand that Titus convert to Judaism and be circumcised in order to join? Or would the church allow him to be culturally Greek because he's ethnically Greek? Could the church be as inclusive as the gospel is the real question. So you know Titus in those early days, he's getting some weird looks. He had to have some awkward conversations with Jews who had conflated their culture and their theology. 
So what Titus did and what all minorities do in majority culture churches is they force us to see how the majority has equated culture with theology. For instance, you might think it's a theological position to have a worship service that gets out at the exact same time every week. Now, we kind of have to do that because we've got another church coming in right behind us. But in other spots, you you start getting antsy. You know, if if church starts at 11 and if it's 12.02, you got people itching there in the back seat. And you might say, well, it's it's just respecting people's time. It's keeping order and God wants us to respect others and be orderly, right? Sure. But it's also possible that these are cultural expectations and not gospel truths. So you see how Titus, a a Greek, would be disruptive in a mostly Jewish church when he calls circumcision, among other Jewish practices, into question. And so because of this dynamic, Titus is a valuable, valuable leader. He's kind of like Paul's green beret. He's kind of like his Navy SEAL. Paul sends him into really tough situations. The first one was Corinth. And if you think that uh, our church or any other church you've been part of is messed up, Read the book of Corinth and be comforted. There are so many problems in Corinth. In fact, in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, you'll find that a dude had, was committing adultery with his stepmother, with his father's wife. This was just Corinth. And so Titus puts things in order there. And now he sends him to another place. He sends him to Crete, this small island in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And that's what the context that he's in when Paul writes him this letter. And here's what Crete's like according to chapter 1, verse 12. What we find out in chapter 1, verse 12 is that Crete, that they're liars, that they're evil beasts, and that they're gluttons. So this falls right in line with Corinth. So Titus goes to hard places. He sets things in order. He gets things fixed. He makes things right. And this is going to be tough work for Titus. Paul knows it's going to be tough for Titus, and he knows that Titus is going to be tempted to ask the wrong questions first. Questions like, what should I do? And these are almost always the wrong questions to ask out of the gate. Now, there are practical things, there are technical things, as you'll see later in the letter, but they're the wrong questions to ask at the beginning of any project. The right questions to ask are around who you are, identity questions, not what should I do, technique questions. So that's where Paul starts in the greeting. In fact, it's so important for Paul that the greeting in Titus is longer than any other of Paul's letters except for Romans. And it's long because Paul spends so much time talking about his own identity. So by way of example, Paul is saying that what's true of him is also true of Titus. And if Titus can get his identity figured out, then the practical will take care of itself. And brothers and sisters, the same is true for me and you. We are often asking practical questions. Questions like, how can I have a healthy marriage? How can I be a good parent? How can I have less stress in my life? How can I have hope when I'm depressed? What should I do to make my walk, what should I do to take my walk with God seriously? How should I interact with poverty and race and political issues? Uh, These aren't bad per se. But there are more important questions, ones that center around your identity. Who am I? So let's read this passage together. Titus chapter 1, verse 1. 
Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, and hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior to Titus, my true child, in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. The word of the Lord. So there are three identities I want us to focus on that come out of this text. The first one is the identity of a servant, the identity of an ambassador, and third, the identity of being the beloved. It's the first one, servant. You see it right there in verse 1. The first identity that Paul claims right out of the gate is servant of God. You could also translate this slave of God. I think it's first because it's the most important. And the reason that's most important is that humility before God is what is to be cultivated above all other virtues in the Christian life. And especially if you're in a position of leadership. See, we're all in submission to God. We, we do his bidding, but we flip that around when we often try to get him to do ours. And Titus has to remember that he's not in Crete to further build his pastoral resume so he can take on a bigger church down the line. He's not trying to build a social media following. He's not trying to fill a hole in his soul with how much his congregants like him. If Titus does this, then he needs God to do things for him on his behalf. But that's not why Titus is there. Titus is in Crete to do things on God's behalf. He's got to adopt this humble posture. He's got to take this low disposition of being a servant of God. And if you know Paul's letters, this fits right in with Paul's MO. Paul humbly self-identifies in other places in the New Testament. For instance, 1 Corinthians 15, 9. Paul says he's the least of the apostles and unworthy to even be called an apostle because he was once a persecutor of the church. Ephesians 3, 8. Paul says that he's the very least of all the saints. 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 and 13, he stands in wonder that he's been deemed faithful even though he's a blasphemer and a persecutor and a rude opponent of the church. So Paul lives in this kind of wonder and the grace that he's received. And because of that, it's really easy for him to see himself as a servant. Nothing could be more natural for Paul than to live in complete submission to Jesus who redeemed and rescued him. But notice how specific Paul was when he told on himself in those three passages. He doesn't just call himself a generic sinner. He says he's a particular kind of sinner with a specific sinful past and he's been ratting on himself ever since. Everyone knows Paul's dirty laundry. How about you? Maybe your journey to being a servant needs to start with getting particular about your specific and your particular places of sin and pain. When you share these particular places with others, it shines a light on Jesus' ability to save and it frees you from spending your days serving, it frees you to spend your days serving him and others rather than spending your days trying to build an image as a good or successful person. But notice what's important here. 
Paul doesn't call himself a servant of the church. He says that he's a servant of God. That's an important distinction. See, in many ways, Paul, nor Titus, nor myself, nor you are servants of the church. If we were, then we would essentially be a kind of social manager. But we're not. We're servant of God, and we are to be under his authority. But Titus and we, we also possess authority. Yes, we're under God's authority, but we possess authority. And that's what gets us to our second identity, being an ambassador of God. I mean, what Paul says here is he says apostles, the way it's translated in the ESV. You could also translate it as delegate or ambassador, like I said, or a commissioner. It just means that one who has been sent, he or she that has been sent. For instance, it was used in secular affairs. You had apostles of national leaders who were sent to do political matters. And so when the early church picks up this term for the New Testament, it uses it to describe those who were eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection, of those who speak with God's authority. And there were 12 of them. There were the 12 disciples minus Judas plus Paul. Now, Paul, had, he had an eyewitness encounter, not because he followed Jesus around in his earthly ministry, but because he met Jesus in an eyewitness kind of way on the road to Damascus. So he was an equivalent, as the disciples are, to being an apostle. And so those 12 apostles, they were the foundations of the early church, both for their leadership, but also the writing of the New Testament. And now there are no more apostles. Titus wasn't an apostle. But Paul tells him in chapter 2, he does have authority, and Paul tells him in chapter 2, he says, Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. See, Titus had authority even though he wasn't an apostle. He has it because he's a pastor, and he's to exert that authority in the church over people. What does that look like? Well, practically, it looks like his preaching. Paul says in these verses that we've just read that the knowledge of the truth is manifested in preaching, and that's Paul's call, and that's also Titus's. He's a preacher of the gospel. He's not peddling some self-help curriculum. He's not building a cult. He's presenting the gospel on behalf of a king, the king of heaven and earth. He has authority. See, what's powerful about preaching is not preaching, but what's powerful is the gospel. It's the message. But what about those of us who aren't pastors? What about those of us who aren't apostles? What kind of authority do we have? Well, think back to Adam and Eve. Remember Adam and Eve at the very beginning? God says that they're given dominion over all of creation. They're given dominion not because they own creation, not because they created it, sure. Because they were to steward it. They were to steward it and bring about the maximum level of flourishing within it. So in some ways they were little kings and little queens under the authority of the king. And so that means that human beings that were royal in nature, we bear God's image who is the king. And that's the picture of the beginning. Adam and Eve had authority, not ultimate authority, but they had little king, little queen authority. And then you get to the end of the Bible. When you get to Revelation, you see that we have authority there too. That the church is going to judge the angels. That's authority. But what about the in-between? we got Adam and Eve at the beginning. We're judging angels at the end. But what about the in-between, the space that we find ourselves in here today? 
It's a good question. First Timothy tells us, First Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 and 12 says, If we have died with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we also reign with him. What does it look like? What does it look like to reign with God? See, when you walk through life and you've got these self-conceptions of being a servant of God on the one hand, where you're under his authority, you're humble, you're meek, and you're gentle. But you also have this other identity, this identity of being an ambassador, a delegate, a commissioner, where you possess authority, where you have some confidence. When you've got both these identities, you're destined to fall off on one side or the other. For instance, your supposed humility as God's servant could look like If you've fallen off this side, it could look like people-pleasing. We just fulfill other people's wishes for you. Well, if that's you, you need to realize that you're an ambassador of the king. You reign with him. You have authority. You could fall off on the other side and you embrace your identity as an ambassador of the king. You're not going to let anybody tell you what to do. You're under no one's authority and you mask it by saying, I've prayed about it. No one can tell me what to do. But you, if that's you, you need to realize that you're only a servant. So how can you be confident as God's ambassador and humble as God's servant all at the same time? What's that going to look like? We've got to see you got one more identity. You've got to see that you're the beloved of God. Look at verse 2. In verse 2, there's a phrase towards the end that says, promised before the ages began. See, what Paul is saying is that God has set his affection on his people before they ever set their affection on him. Translation, God was in love with you before you We're in love with him. I have an old friend that uh, loves to make people feel awkward. Um, This isn't some weird way of saying me, by the way. This is. (laughs) And what he does is that he comes up to newly married couples and he asks them a question. And he says, "Uh, who liked who first? And he said, every single time, you can cut the tension with a knife. And so I asked him, I said, all right, you've done this a bunch of times. What have you learned about dating by asking that question for all these years? And here's what he said. He said, I've learned that one person's interest is often what sparked the other person's interest. There's something magical that happens when you know someone's interested. So you ready? You know where I'm going with this. God loved you first. He promised to love you before the ages began. That's verse 2. See, God knew what it was going to take to have you. He was going to have to send his son as the suffering servant of God and as the royal king in the flesh to live and die and raise again to purchase your soul. And he had to go to unimaginable lengths to demonstrate this lavish, this costly love. I came across uh, an, an old Google commercial this week. It's about this little girl named Sophie. And 
Her dad has an email account that he starts for when he finds out that his wife is pregnant. He creates it and he starts writing her emails and attaching pictures and videos to them. He sends one to her at her birth and he types, I'm still getting the hang of holding you. He sends one with a video of her first birthday. He sends another one to her, uh, another video to her that when she welcomes, when she becomes a big sister and she wants to name her little brother Salt. He sends another one to her of her being sick in the hospital and of him talking about how he's afraid of losing her. He sends her a pic of their house. He sends pictures of the art that she drew for him, of vacations they took, of teeth that she lost, of her dancing ballet. And the last one that the dad writes explains why he did all this. And he said, I created this account since before you were born, and I can't wait to show you all of these someday. See, brothers and sisters, God has done the same for you. He has a bunch of snapshots of how he's wooed you with his son through his word and how he's gone to great lengths since the creation of the world to have you. And when you know that you are his beloved, you'll be unbelievably humble and embrace your identity as a servant because your sin was so serious that he had to die for it. While at the same time, you'll be confident as his ambassador because you know that he was glad to die. No one had to twist his arm to give up Jesus. He did it freely. He did it lavishly. He did it generously because he had set his affection on you. So brother and sister, let us move forward as servants of God, as ambassadors of God, because we are his beloved. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we just praise you for setting your affection on us. Even though we had rebelled against you and walked away from you, even though we are so feeble, so weak, yet you love us. And Lord, I pray that that would change everything about us. Lord, it would give us great boldness as your ambassador and give us great humility as your servants as we live our lives this week. Do this work in us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.